yeah, I'm Rick Beck. I'm a blue shirt here at the church, and my wife, Sandra, works in the nursery, and sometimes we keep all the little ones, and it's just a blast. Uh, this church has been great for us. I really enjoy being here with all y'all. This is family. And so uh, now I'm going to read this scripture and try not to mess it up too much. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up your shield of faith which, with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. Hi, good morning, church. How are y'all doing this morning? Now, my name is Blake. I'm one of the, uh, your pastors here at the Refuge, and uh, thank you, Rick, for our uh, scripture reading this morning. Thank you, band, uh, for uh, leading us well. Uh, how, how great is our band that we don't need 19 people up here to still rock out, right? So yeah, even with five, uh, you lead us very, very well. So thank you, band, for that. Uh, today, I get to uh, continue our study in Ephesians, and uh, it's, it's been a really, really great um, way we've been walking through this over the last several, um, last several weeks. And um, if you haven't already, go ahead and grab your Bibles and open up to Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, that's where we're going to be this morning. And by the way, if you don't have a physical Bible with you, um, every single one of our communion tables has a few Bibles on them. So if you need to grab one, feel free to. If you don't own a Bible, consider that our gift to you. Uh, we would love to, uh, for that to be something that you just take on with you. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to have that with you. So um, last week, uh, we started looking at a crucial aspect of the world around us, a world that we can't see with our eyes. So even though we can't see it, there's a war full of battles happening right now all around us, even in this room, even at this very moment. The war going on in the spiritual places might be unseen by us, but it is real, it is serious, and it's dangerous. However, knowing that we're in the midst of our battle, did our Father in heaven leave us defenseless? So here's the thing. If you're new to Refuge, when I ask a question, I'm literally asking a question. So make sure you answer back, okay? So let me ask that again. Knowing we are in the midst of battle, did our Father in heaven leave us defenseless? No, no he did not. Did he leave us to our own devices to figure out what to do? No. Or worse, did he leave us to be cut down by the enemy like sitting ducks? No, he did not. Of course not. Last week, Pastor Scott started a mini-series within our Ephesians series, a Bible study that if you've been in church uh, any, any amount of time, you've probably heard before, uh, which is the armor of God. This is something we get to focus here in, on, in Ephesians chapter 6. So our Heavenly Father has not left us defenseless. How gracious of our God to give us armor against a very, very real enemy that we're going to look at today. And Scott pointed out last week that we have the satisfaction, the hope, the strength of knowing that we are fighting a battle in a war that is already won against an enemy who is already defeated. This is good news. Church, am I right? This is good news. A war that is already won and against an enemy who is already defeated. And last week, Pastor Scott focused on the first two items of the armor that Apostle Paul points out in Ephesians 6, the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. And so this morning, we get to take on the next two items of uh, the, ar the armor of God. And as for the shoes of your feet, 
having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith, which with you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So not only do we see that the Lord is giving us more defenses in our battle, he also gives us a glimpse into the weaponry and the tactics of our enemy. This morning, we're going to focus on three things as we continue our study in the armor of God here in Ephesians. Shoes, shields, and Satan are the things we're going to focus on. I wouldn't be a, a, a previously Baptist preacher if I didn't have some alliteration in my sermons, all right? Shields, shoes, and Satan is what we're going to be focusing on this morning. But before we dive in, let me, let me pray for us as we continue to open God's Word together. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity for your church to come together and listen to the word, of, the word that you have so graciously given to us, God. So God, this morning, as we, as we open the scriptures together, let you be the one that is speaking in this room, God. So God, please allow my feeble words and my, my ums and my stepping over myself, God, just not uh, cloud at all the truth that you have for us this morning. The fact that you are a good father and the fact that you love us, that you have not left us defenseless. And that we, although we are fighting a real enemy, God, we have the assurance that you are already the victor. And us, by your work and finished work on the cross, get to be victorious, victorious as well, God. So we love you. We praise you. We pray this in your name. Amen. And as for shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So this translation in the ESV, honestly, in my opinion, is actually a little bit awkward. So there's actually another version that I've been reading lately called the NET, the New, New English uh, tra- Translation, and I really like the way it puts it. By fitting your feet with the preparation that comes from the good news or the gospel of peace. So we have the belt of truth, we have the breastplate of righteousness, and now we got our kicks. We got our shoes, okay? So it might be a little bit weird. You know, we, all of us know that we have a belt that holds our armor together. We have a breastplate that, that, that guards against any kind of offense to our front, but now we got shoes. So it might seem a little bit odd to kind of go all the way to shoes, but, but stay with me here. So the question is, how do shoes protect, uh, provide protection in battle? So let's keep in mind what the original Ephesian reader of this letter that Paul sent them would have had in mind as they read these words the first time. And they weren't picturing Air Jordans or Carhartts, I promise. That's not what they had in mind, okay? With the mention of the whole armor of God that we saw back in verse 11, what do you think was probably in the Ephesians' mind? I'm really asking. Yeah, Roman guard. Probably, yeah, think about what was all around. They're in, they're in Rome, right, in, in Ephesus. They were probably thinking of a Roman soldier and, uh, when they're thinking of the whole armor of God. So again, we ask, how might a Roman soldier's shoe help him in battle? Well, let's take a closer look at at what one of these shoes might have looked like. So this is an illustration. I didn't do this, by the way. But this is an illustration of what a Roman soldier's shoe might have looked like. You can see that it's uh, made with with really hardened leather and hide, and it's strapped around the foot. And a lot of times, not only strapped around the ankle, but all the way up to the knee as well. And you can see down there at the bottom, it actually had these little metal spikes that were implanted into the bottom of the foot, in the bottom of the, of the sole. So, but with strong straps going all the way around your legs and these uh, metal footings on the bottom of the shoe, this doesn't sound like they'd win any, win any races, though, do they? But although they wouldn't be ideal for running, what do you think they would be ideal for? Traction. Kicking people, maybe? Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, I don't, want, I don't want to spike to the face myself, but yeah, that's exactly, yeah. So if someone said traction, that's exactly what it would do. 
Like we saw in verse 13 to 14, standing firm is what we see. So the Roman soldier's main concern was not chasing down the enemy. It was holding his ground. So when you think of a shoe with spikes on the bottom of it like this, what's a modern equivalent that comes to mind? Yeah, cleats. So here's a, here's a football lineman's cleat that you might see. You're going to see the, the modern equivalent that we have for that. So, so in the room, how many uh, football players, current or former, do I have in the room? Any, any football players in here? Myself? I was a lineman myself. I don't know. Of course, from my build, I was not a, a quarterback. I'm sure. I'm, I know you're surprised. But yes, I was a, I was a lineman like many of you. Um, so I'm going to ask you this. So those of you who are linemen, if you're on the, if you're on the line pushing against the de- de- defense, trying to get to your QB, would you be, rather be wearing cleats or would you rather be wearing some Crocs? What do you all think? Cleats or Crocs? Where are we at? Even with the taco emblem? Are you sure? So yeah. So yeah, so if, 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 you're, if you're pushing against alignment, uh, you want to be wearing these cleats, right? You don't want to be slipping and sliding in these crocs, even though they're in tactical mode, right? So they're in four by four. So yeah, okay. So even, even so, we're still going with cleats. Are we agreed in this? Yes, of course. So not only are they more stir- sturdy and they hold your foot in better, they also have the best possible traction for when you're pushing against someone who's pushing back against you. So this begs a very, very interesting question of, not only physics, but philosophy. That's right, football to philosophy. That's, that's what we offer here at Refuge Church. Um, the question being asked is this. Where does the true strength of cleats come from? I mean, are, are they strong by themselves? Is that why we're wearing them? No. So let me ask you this. Would, would cleats be as effective in mud? Would they be as effective on ice? No, of course not. So the ultimate strength doesn't come from the cleats themselves, but rather they allow us to capture and use the strength being offered by the ground beneath them. Are you all following me so far? That's, what, that's where we're getting, really getting our strength from. So let's go back and look at what, exactly what Apostle Paul was saying while using this analogy. So when we're looking at, as for the shoes of your feet, put on the readiness. And so when we see here, what is giving them their readiness? What does it say? Given by the what? The gospel of peace. And as for the shoes for your seat, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So the Ephesian reader of this letter would have understood the same analogy. The Roman soldier's shoe would have been gripping the ground as it holds off the advancing enemy. Apostle Paul is using this analogy to show them that the firm foundation that they should be standing firm on is the gospel of peace. You see that? But gospel of peace, that's kind of a, honestly an odd thing to say. I mean, are you, are you seeing kind of the, 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 the contrast Paul is writing here? That we're, we're gearing up for war, but we're supposed to be standing on the gospel of peace, war and peace. Do you see how he's contrasting those? Again, this contrast reminds us that Jesus isn't asking us to cross our fingers and hope that we'll win. He is offering us confidence in the fact that the war is already won. Peace is inevitable because Jesus has already ushered it in through his sacrifice on the cross, and he will finish what he began. So even in the midst of battle, we can find peace in the finished work of Jesus because he strengthens us and he is our firm footing. And the strength he offers us is the fact that he has fought and won the war for us on our behalf. And we get to share in those spoils 
The first of which is a restored relationship with him. So let's keep going and see what other tools that were being offered in our defenses. So, so far we've been given a belt, a breastplate, shoes, and now we have a shield. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. So you notice what it says at the very beginning. It says, in all circumstances, right here at the beginning. So in other translations might say, above all or over all. In other words, this shield will be your primary and first defense against the tactics of the enemy. And Paul actually means this literally. Remember, we're thinking of a Roman soldier here. In the, in the Ephesian reader's mind, this wasn't some small rinky-dink shield that was just going over the forearm like you might see like in a gladiator or something. What they're talking about is, um, is what a Roman soldier would have been given on the front lines. And here's actually a picture of what one looked like called a scutum. A scutum. Everyone say that with me. Scutum. Yeah. This is what a scutum looked like. This is actually the only known surviving example of one that's actually at the Yale University Art Gallery. So this is what one might have looked like at the time. And this thing's not small. This thing's about four feet tall and about two feet wide. And when used well, you can actually hide your entire body uh, in, in front of it. So it can protect your entire body. So no matter what, what you're wearing, whether it's a helmet or a belt or a breastplate, this shield can cover all of it. And that's like one of the reasons he uses this term uh, above all or in all circumstances. The, uh, so they were made of multiple layers of laminated wood. They were covered in a thick tanned hide. They were um, decorated and even uh, reinforced with metal plating. So these things were meant to withstand the blows of a sword and hold off lines of advancing soldiers as they're pushing up against you. And as we'll see in a few minutes, they even can protect from arrows shot from enemy soldiers. But we'll talk about that in a minute. The shoes in verse 14 aren't valuable because of their own intrinsic strength, right? Only from the ground beneath them. However, a shield is strong by itself. But this is not just any shield, is it? Look back in Ephesians chapter 6. Paul calls it a shield of what? A shield of what? Of faith. A shield of faith. The shield in our spiritual battle isn't strong because of the layers of wood, the hide, and the metal. Our spiritual shield of God is one made of our faith. Our spiritual shoes aren't strong by themselves, but they are strong because of what they're planted in. Much in the same way, our faith is not strong by itself, but it's strong because of the object of our faith. The King of Kings, the mighty warrior, Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. He is the object of our faith and where the strength of our faith comes from. Our faith doesn't just happen, by the way. So when he says the shield of faith, it's not like we're, we're mustering it up inside of us somewhere, right? And we're going to find more faith to believe, right? If we look back in, in Hebrews chapter 12, we learned that who is the author and perfecter of our faith? Jesus. So we know that we're not just looking for this faith and just bottled up inside of us, it's already there. We just have to tap it and find the strength within us. That's not what we're talking about. That's not what the Bible teaches. We know that the author and perfecter of our faith is Jesus himself. So when he's offering us a shield of faith, he is the one giving us the shield. And the fact that he gives us our faith, not only to be, believe and to be saved to begin with, but also as our shield is yet another reminder of how he cares for us and advocates for our inevitable victory through and in him. Regardless of the battle around us, God gives us a shield, a shield capable of protecting our whole bodies from attack, regardless of what the enemy brings to the battle. And this is a good thing, because even though we know the war is won, the battle isn't over. 
And now we get a glimpse at the enemy's attack. Continue reading with me in Ephesians 6 and verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all of the flaming darts of the evil one. So our battle isn't only against a broken world and our broken sinful flesh. We are battling against those things. But we also have an active enemy attacking us. As it says here in verse 16, the evil one. So we have to ask the question, who is the evil one? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some examples of things that might come, in mind, come to mind as we think of who the evil one is. And I want you all to tell me if I start getting warm, okay? Here's one. Is this the evil one? Does he wear like a, a smart shirt and a nice tie from the 60s? Is that the evil one? How about this guy? Is that the evil one? Is that what he looks like? He's got a, a, a small smirk and he's invited on SNL Weekend Update. Is that him? How about this one? Is the devil, is that the evil one? The a cute little costume that we see running around on Halloween and poking us in the butt with a, with a plastic fork? Is that it? Is that, is that the evil one? How about this one? Is this the evil one? <laughs> Elaine Bennis, is that, is that the evil one that we're talking about? So, at least in our culture, the evil one, when we talk about him, has been reduced to funny jokes like these. He's a character or a mascot, an idea, but he's not real. Or maybe at best, the average American, maybe even people in here, maybe we would nod to the idea of evil, but not evil personified like we see in Scripture, talking about the evil one. Church, please don't make the mistake of letting the world around us define our theology. The world around us shapes us. Whether you want it to or not, the world around you, what you choose to, to expose yourself to, is shaping you. Whether you realize it is or not. And things, funny things like this can erode the truth of what the Scripture has for us. So we have to ask ourselves, what is the, who is the evil one? And what does Scripture say about it? Not things that were fed on TV. In Revelation chapter 12, we read this, starting in verse 7. Now a war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. In Job chapter 1, we read this. So the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him on the earth, a pure and upright man, one who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, Is it nothing that Job fears God? Have you not made a hedge around him and made his household and all that is, uh, he has in every side protected? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his livestock have increased in the land. But extend your hands and strike everything he has, and he will no doubt curse you to your face. In Job chapter 1, we see that Satan, in Job, literally translated as the adversary, come to God asking permission to test Job's faith, accusing Job of having a superficial faith. Then we see in Zechariah chapter 3, then he showed me Joshua and the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. When you hear the name Satan, you might be surprised to know that that's actually not a name. It's actually more of a title. There are a Satan, is think of it this way. And Satan is actually a, a title translated as the accuser, as we see here in Zechariah and in Job chapter 1. 
And then lastly, we have in 1 Peter, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But the next verse shows us how to combat this accuser. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Our enemy, our adversary, Satan, the devil, the accuser, the deceiver, whatever you want to call him, he is real. Like, not figuratively, not hypothetically, not metaphorically, literally. He is real. And he is dangerous. And he is attacking all of us, even you. And this is especially true if you call yourself a follower of Jesus. I know we have several people in the room who, over the last week, became followers of Jesus. I want you to know you have a target on your back. And as our text in Ephesians points out, our enemy is shooting flaming darts or flaming arrows at that target on your back. And here's the thing, guys. He's been doing this for a long time long time. And his accurate is really good. Without armor, you don't stand a chance. Without armor, you do not stand a chance against the flaming darts of the evil one. So I want you to pay attention to what I'm about to say. Satan hates God, hates you, and is out to destroy you. I know that sounds heavy. I know that sounds immense. And I, but I'm not here to scare you. We're not trying to scare you. I'm here to warn you. As one of your shepherds here at Refuge Church, it is our duty to warn you of the dangers that you face every single day. And this is a very real danger. So what I want to do to be as practical as possible I want, we're going to talk about what might some of these flaming darts look like. Because again, I want you to be on the alert, and I want you to be thinking about and recognize them when they come. Because they will come. Not if they come, when these flaming darts come. But as heavy as this sounds, don't forget, God's given us armor to protect us from it. So don't freak out too much, okay? So what, are some of the, what might some of, these, uh, some of these flaming darts look like? The first one is simple temptation of sin. We know that God does not tempt us. But like we saw in Job, the enemy tempts us to place our ultimate affections on things other than the Lord, which if you get right down to it, that is the definition of sin. Anytime we place something else as our highest value other than Jesus, that is sin. That's the definition of sin. And that's what the enemy tries to get us to do, is to tempt us to do that. Now, it might, be, um, it might be the temptation that comes your way. It might be new. It might be something that you've never even struggled with before. Or maybe it's a pattern of sin that you used to struggle with a lot, but you put to death a long time ago. But now it's rearing its ugly head again. It's, has anyone ever, have you all struggled with that before too? Whether it be new sin or old sin. It's, you're going along one day and you feel tempted by whatever it is and you're like, whoa, where did that come from? It comes out of left field. You don't see it coming from anywhere. Sometimes in those moments of temptation, though, we fall for it because it surprises us and takes us off guard. 
Now, I want to make sure that we mention that, remember, we're battling against three things. Yes, Satan is one of them. We are battling against a very real enemy, but we also battle against our own broken flesh and a broken world in which we reside. So it might not be flaming dirts from the enemy. It might be one of those other things, but it also might be the enemy using our sinful flesh, the things that we already struggle with, to get a foothold to cause us to sin in those areas again. So again, I want you to be on the alert. That might be the, uh, the, the work of the flaming darts of the enemy. And so in those moments, remember, he's also called the deceiver. He whispers in our ear, it's not that bad. No one will know. Did God really say that was sin? You found a loophole. That makes it not a sin. How, how close can you get to that line before it's a sin? Or you deserve it. These are the lies that the deceiver might be whispering in your ears to deceive you and take your affections away from Christ. Don't listen to the enemy when you hear these thoughts. Rest on your firm footing in the gospel. Immerse yourself in the word so that you have an answer to these deceptions, just like we saw Jesus do in the wilderness when he was tempted by the enemy. The next thing that we'll see is increased relational strife. Or in other words, you just start fighting with people you never fought with before. Maybe it's your best friend, maybe it's your wife, your husband, maybe it's a coworker, someone that you normally get along with very well. For some reason today, they're just getting on your nerves. Has, any, has anyone seen that before? I don't. I'm, I, don't I don't get bothered by people. But I know that y'all probably, y'all probably worry about that sometimes, right? So yeah, of course, sometimes that happens. Sometimes there's just someone, they're just getting on my nerves today. I don't know why, but when I think about it, they're just making me mad. It's driving a wedge between you. That might be the enemy sending darts your way. Now, this one is especially dangerous because resentment against others can sometimes grow if left unchecked. Am I right? I want you to keep in mind, notice that the darts he's sending us are flaming darts. I don't know if you know a lot about you know, ancient weaponry, but what they're meant to do is they're not supposed to only injure when they hit but they also have a glowing ember inside their head that whatever they hit, they catch fire and grows. And a fire, if not dealt with, will grow and burn in intensity and destruction. And this is especially dangerous if we allow resentment against somebody else, especially a brother or sister in Christ, to grow and go unchecked. You try to push it out of your mind, but it keeps coming back. Stronger and stronger, right? I know this is, I'm just speaking of my own experience, but I'm sure I'm not alone. Then you start to believe and feel justified in how you feel against that person. Then it actually starts to feel a little bit good how mad you are at them. Like, how dare they do that? I should feel this way. And the longer it goes, the deeper and wider that fire burns with contempt and resentment against that person. But what does Scripture say about these moments, specifically when it comes to relational strife? If we look in verse 18, it tells us, kind of gives us a picture of what to do in these moments. That if a brother or sister sins against me, or if I have a, in other words, if I got a beef with someone, am I supposed to just go and tell my friend about it and us gang up against them? I hope you don't say yes to that. What are we supposed to do? Matthew 18, we go to them directly. 
says, if a brother or, sinner, a brother or sister sins against you, go to them one-on-one and let it be reconciled so then there's no more sin against you. And then you can both go on. And then it's, it's resolved between you two. That's the picture that we see. And so I would urge you that if there is any kind of relational strife between you and somebody else, that could be flaming darts from the evil one, driving a wedge between you in order for you to burn with resentment in that person, pulling your affections away from Jesus and towards a sinful resentment towards another person. So what I would urge you to do is put on your shield of faith and trust that God is working in that moment and that he will be in the midst of you as you're reconciling that sin between the two of you. Please do that. Another flaming dart that we might see. Now again, this list is not exhaustive. These are just some of the the topics that might come up. And I know that this sermon is very, uh, a lot more practical sometimes than we get to, but I want to make sure, again, that you guys are warned and understand of what to look for as you're going throughout your Christian lives. The next one, maybe you have a spike in fear or anxiety, and you don't know why. Irrational fear or anxiety. Now, I know some of us, some of us deal with anxiety a lot more than others. Some of us deal with fear more than others. But maybe it's something, um, but have you ever had those days that you just can't seem to stop worrying about something, but you can't place your finger on what it is? I do that all the time too. Or maybe you just feel a weight on your shoulders that seems to come from nowhere. Or almost like it's an oppressive fog that you're walking through that follows you everywhere you go. In those moments, we hear a small voice that just tells us something is wrong. Something is wrong. And we know that because of this broken world that we live in, we agree with it. Yeah, something is wrong. It feels wrong. Know that that might be the work of the deceiver who is telling you something is broken. Now, remember that what the deceiver does, he's good at what he does. So when you feel this weight on your shoulders, he's not going to tell you, oh, that's an invisible elephant sitting on top of you. That sounds ridiculous, right? An invisible elephant. How many of you all would believe that if you heard him say that? None of us would, right? But what he might say is that the weight on your shoulders is evidence that God isn't as good as he says he is. If he was a good father, why would he allow you to feel this way? That is more believable, isn't it? Sometimes we hear those things and we believe it. Regardless of what it is on this list or any other of myriad of things, you see the difference of how the enemy deceives us. It's subtle. He wraps 90% of truth and 10% of a lie so that it just throws it off kilter just enough that we'll believe it. Don't believe him when he tells you these things. Rest your footing on the good news of God's word. Regardless of what it is on this list, don't listen to Satan. But here's the good news. God gives us a glimpse at Satan's playbook on this. And I'll be honest, it's, it's not a long book. Okay? It's a one-page playbook that he gives us that we get to be on the alert. And here's how in 1 John he describes Satan's playbook. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come from the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. 
So now when you see the word antichrist, again, that's a, don't get hung up on that word too much. That just means another adversary that we might see, uh, specifically when you're looking at, in, at the end times, but, which is another sermon for another day. But just know that that's another voice speaking against the affections of God. So in other words, all of these three things, temptation, strife, um, irrational fear, all they are is they're deceiving you into believing that God isn't who he says he is. How can he, he can't really do the things he says he can do. Don't believe that lie. Back in the garden, we saw the same tactic. Did God really say? It's all the same play, but with slightly different tweaks. When you encounter these types of thoughts, bring up your shield of faith and pray, asking God to give you discernment in that moment. Do those thoughts that are entering in your mind, do they confess Jesus like we saw in 1 John? Do they point your affections towards Jesus? Because ultimately what all of these do is the flaming darts are thoughts that don't confess Jesus like we see in 1 John. All of them boil down to that. Do these thoughts carry your thoughts away from the goodness of our Savior? Do they subtly chip away at the thought that God really is good, that Jesus really did die for you, that Jesus really did raise on the third day. Any thoughts that make you take your eyes off the goodness of Jesus are not from God. They may just be more flaming darts being shot at the target on your back. These are the tactics of our enemy. But this is a big but but our enemy is no match for our Savior. Amen? Okay. I'm going to, this is not in my notes. I'm going to be honest with y'all. We're talking about spiritual warfare here. I personally feel an oppression right now. I don't know if y'all feel it too. I, it feels dense in this room. It feels heavy. And so um, I'm, what I'm going to do right now, I want everyone to close their eyes. I'm going to pray right now. Uh, against any work of the enemy that might be going on in this room right now, okay? This isn't in my notes. I just feel it, and I feel like I need to respond to it, okay? So everyone, close your eyes. I'm going to pray for us right now. God, we are talking about how the tools that you have given us to defeat our enemy, and God, we know the enemy does not like that. The enemy does not want us to be aware of, the, of the, his schemes and what he is doing to pull us away from looking at your goodness, Father. So God, right now, I ask that you allow everyone to just take a deep breath, God. I pray that right now you don't allow the enemy to be putting any kind, of, any kind of oppression on us right now, and you allow us to hear with clear ears and clear thoughts the goodness of who you are and what you have done for us, not only in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, God, but the fact that you also give us things like armor to fight in this battle that's all around us, God. So God, I ask boldly right now that if there is any kind of demonic oppression, if there's any kind of enemy that's going on in this room right now, you make it flee right now, God. We, right now, we are resisting the enemy and asking that he flee right now. So God, I ask that you please, right now, allow everyone in this room, whether we know you, God, or not, that you allow us to see your goodness, what you have done for us, who you are and remind us of how much you love us. You give us things, not like not only your scripture, but also battle, uh, armor for the battle, God. So God, right now, help us to feel your presence in this room. Help us to not feel any other presence that might be here. We love you, we praise you, and we trust you, God. And we pray this in your name. Amen.
Okay, everyone do this with me. <sighs> Breathe. Do it again. <sighs> Breathe. Okay. This might sound a little, I know this, some of y'all, I, I grew up Baptist myself. This is super weird, okay? This might be freaking some of y'all out. I understand. It's freaking me out too, okay? So can we all just like, just take a breath. It's okay. We're here. So I, I got one of my, you know, former Pentecostal brothers. Like that. They were here. They're, this is right up in the blue house. They know what's going on here, okay? So yeah, we know what's going on. But, uh, but I tr- just trust that we know what's going on. But guys, let me point to the screen one more time. What does it say? Our enemy is no match for our Savior. Say it again. Our enemy is no match for our Savior, okay? We do not live in a dualistic world where God, the, God is fighting against the, the devil, okay? We, this is not good versus evil. They're both, let's see who's going to win. Let's see who's going to come out on top. That is not the world we live in. Our enemy is no match for our Savior. And I'm going to say this, it's not even close. Not even close, Okay? Not even close. And so I know this might feel heavy, this might feel weird, but know that the battle that we are in right now is real, but it's in a war that's already won. So we get, we get to leave. Okay, I, I need to find where I was in my notes. Give me just a second. So, <laughs> so here's where we are. So what do we do with all this? It's interesting to talk about. It's, it's weird to talk about some of these things maybe we don't talk about every day. But I must ask the question, what do we do with all of these things that we're seeing? The first part of the answer is that back in what we saw in Ephesians 6, 11, put on the whole armor of God. I want you all to read it with me. Ready? One, two, three. Put on the whole armor of God. Say it with me again. Put on the whole armor of God. Now, does it say, let the whole armor of God be put on you? Is that what it says? No, this is not a passive voice. It's not saying that this is something that's happening to you, which we do see in Scripture a lot. We know it's true for our salvation, lots of different things. But that's not what this says. This is the active voice, put on the whole armor of God. Christian, put on the whole armor of God. It's a command for you to do something. If the evil one is shooting flaming darts at you, okay? Picture this with me, right? I'm sitting... Uh, on the battlefield, I see that whole wave of darts coming over, arrows coming over the horizon, like 300 or something, right? Am I going to say, man, I'm really glad I got that shield in my closet at home. Y'all see how ridiculous that is? That's how a lot of us live, though. That's how a lot of us live. God gives us the armor. It's our job to put it on, okay? God gives us the armor. Put on the whole armor of God. The evil one is shooting arrows at us all the time, and we get to pull up our shield of faith to extinguish those flaming darts. When the enemy is pushing against you, are you going to say, man, these crocs sure are comfy. I'm glad they're in tactical mode. So, no, are we going to say that? No, of course not. We're going to be glad we laced up our cleats, and we're going to be glad we broke them in. Or the worst thing you could do are you going to just bury your head in the sand and pretend there's no battle at all? Or maybe you say you believe there's a battle going on, but you make no effort at all to defend yourself. You make no effort at all to train with the equipment. You make no uh, effort at all to, to get in community where you can fight together. On the battlefield, the enemy doesn't care if you acknowledge him or not. He will destroy you just the same. 
But God gives us defenses so we get to use them. So we have to ask how. How do we put these things on? So we're looking at the belt. That means we need to read our Bibles and pray so that you can discern the truth from the lies with the belt of truth. We must read and immerse ourselves in Scripture so that we can discern truth from lies. And I'll be honest, some of us immerse our minds in a lot of other things more than we do Scripture. Like I said before, you are being shaped by the world around you, and that's okay. We are part of the world. But please make sure that Scripture is the thing that's, that is uh, shaping you more. And the only way you can do that is exposure. Read it. There's lots of great audio apps. You can listen to it in the car. There's lots of great ways that you can study with other people. There's lots of ways to do that. And if you need to have questions about how can I get more Scripture in my life, please come ask me or one of the other pastors or your GC leader. And I, they would love to give you tons of resources to get more Scripture in your life. But I, I would encourage maybe take a week and log the time you spend doing things. How much time do you spend in Scripture versus on Facebook or on TV news or on reading the paper, whatever that is? Those things aren't bad in and of themselves. But if you spend more time on those things than you do Scripture, guess what's shaping you more than Scripture? Think about that. It's a good thing for us to evaluate. If we're thinking about the breastplate, continue to grow in gratitude for what Jesus has done for you so that you can continue to grow in righteousness. Be ready and able to articulate the scandalous truth of the gospel so that you have firm footing on the hope that is inside you. It says to be ready to give an account for the hope that is inside you. That's what what it talks about for the shoes, that you want to have that firm footing so that when you are pushed back by the enemy, your firm footing is in the gospel of peace. And be on the lookout for the schemes of the real enemy so that you're ready to extinguish his flaming darts with your shield of faith, the faith that Christ himself gives us. And soldiers, a Roman soldier wasn't given his equipment and then sent out to battle on the same day. He learned how to put it on. He learned how to use it. He learned how it feels, how to, how to fight with it on. He trains with it, learns what it looks like, learns how to rely on it. We need to do the same with our armor of God. Put it on and learn how to use it. And if you don't know how, what that looks like, that's what your church is for. We get to do this together. We get to train other people. Do you think a Roman soldier, they threw this like pile of stuff on the ground and they go, there you go. And then the guy just walks off and makes them figure it out? Of course not. It takes someone else to teach them how to put it on, teach them how to use it, teach them how to rely on it. So if you're not being taught by someone else how to put on the armor of God, Ask us, and we can make sure we get you into an environment where you are being discipled and learning how to use the armor of God. And then hopefully, as you do that longer, you will also be someone who teaches someone else as we continue the long church history of generational discipleship. That's what we get to be a part of. However, there's one caveat of the armor of God that must be addressed as I close. No matter how protective Armor cannot protect a corpse. If you are dead in your trespasses and sin, like we see in Ephesians 2, and have never truly confessed Jesus as Lord and believe God raised him from the dead, no amount of armor will protect you from the judgment of God. So, if that's you, 
you, the first thing you must do is confess that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. And you must believe that Jesus is that Savior. And believe in your heart, your core is what that means, that he really did literally raise from the dead on the third day, vanquishing death itself. That's what we mean when we say the war is already won. Some of you listening know the right answers in your head, but it hasn't moved down to your heart yet. I know some of the students of this past week know what that feels like. They know what it feels like when that, the, the knowledge goes from your head finally down to your heart. Am I right, students? You felt that this week. And I know there's other people in this room that's making that move too. You know the right answers because you've been in church all your life maybe. But it's only been head knowledge and it hasn't moved to your heart yet. And if you're not sure that that's you, Spend some time evaluating that. That's a good thing. It's the most important question you will ever answer in your life. It will literally be the best thing you do is to evaluate that question in your heart. And if you need help, please let me or one of our other pastors who'll be standing in the back shortly. We will help you walk through that to figure out where you are in that. We are ready and eager to answer any questions you might have about what it looks like to truly follow Jesus. Our God offers us armor for the battle around us. And he first offers us salvation from the battle within our own hearts. Confess your sins to him and believe that Jesus died for you. And if you're a Christian, you don't have to be afraid. Gear up with the whole armor of God and let's fight together. Let me pray for us.